Good morning, Forest View. My name is Nat Evans. Uh, I've been away on vacation the last couple weeks, uh, but it's so good to be able to be back, to be back in our office, to be back with our staff, and uh, to be back with all of you. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing with our series on the Apostle Paul's book, Letter to the Philippians. Uh, and this morning, we're going to be diving into Philippians chapter 2, starting at verse 12. We're going to be working all, all the way up to verse 18, maybe even dipping our feet into a little bit beyond that. But first, before we do any of that, uh, just throughout today, we're going to be talking about salvation. Uh, we're going to be talking about self-awareness. Uh, we're going to be talking about driving with our headlights on, or high beams on. Uh, but first, before we do any of that, uh, I need to tell you about an experience I had with a guy named Frodo. Now, most of you probably are familiar with the character Frodo from the Lord of the Rings books. Um, that's where this guy got his name from. Uh, when I started out as a youth pastor, this kid named Frodo started coming to my youth group. And he was a really great kid. He was really bright, really smart, and he was a really nice guy. Um, I remember this one particular youth retreat that we went on. It was February. We went up to Ontario Pioneer Camp, and, and our whole church youth group was up there, and we were playing some games in the snow. And... For whatever reason, I don't know if it was because I'd had a bad sleep the night before. I don't know if it was because I just wasn't happy to be out in the cold. But for whatever reason, we were playing a game and Frodo started to get a little bit, uh, just, just talking some smack. Just like, just getting a little bit chippy. And I remember him saying all of this to me and kind of just kind of mocking me and, and teasing me. And I just got to that point where I'm like, wait a minute. I don't have to take this. I'm a grown man. And so I thought, you know what? I need to teach Frodo a little bit of a lesson about respect for his elders. And so I remember rushing him in the snow, kind of tackling him. And, uh, and I thought this was going to be my big opportunity to kind of exert my dominance. Um, Frodo was one of the few guys in our youth group who was still a little bit shorter than I was at the time. And so I remember kind of tackling, thinking, yeah, I've got this. Um, but the next thing I knew, Frodo had pulled some kind of move on me, and my face was in the snow, and he was pulling my arm back, and he was telling me, do you yield? And I remember just being like, are you serious? He's like, what is going on here? Are you seriously talking to me like that? And so as I tried to struggle more and more to break free, he just pushed more and more, exerted more and more pressure on my arm, saying, do you yield? And at this point, the rest of the youth group is gathering around as they watch Frodo shove my face into the snow until finally I couldn't resist anymore. I just said, yes, of course, I yield, I yield. And he let me go and helped me back up. Uh, it was this moment of incredible self-awareness and humility for me, as I became more and more aware of my physical strength and wrestling abilities, or maybe I should say lack thereof, of both of those things. How many of us have had those moments, those experiences? It's like just you have this certain view of yourself and then you step into a situation, a circumstance, something happens and you realize, wait a minute, the view I had of myself is not really accurate. Uh, this morning, we're going to be continuing on from a passage uh, that we've been looking at the last couple weeks. So if you've been joining us, if you've been tracking with us, the last two weeks we've spent a significant amount of time looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 
to 11. And those have been called essentially Paul's hymn. And, and what most people believe is that this was actually a hymn that was sung by the first Christians that Paul brings in. He includes in his letter. Now, this is a hymn that is very, very popular uh, within Christians. I've heard it re uh, referenced lots and lots of times, and it's typically done as uh, to 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 emphasize or to point to the fact that Jesus was divine, that Jesus was in fact God. Now, that is a beautiful and profound truth. But the interesting thing about this is that is not why Paul uses this hymn in his passage. Instead, Paul grabs a hold of this hymn not to tell us about some profound theological uh, divine trait of Jesus, but, but rather he grabs up onto this hymn because he is saying this is a mindset, the mindset of Christ, that you as individuals and as a community are to have. And just as Jesus chose, uh, instead of choosing privilege and to live with his own self-interest in mind, instead empties himself and comes and takes on human flesh and in sacrificial love serves others, that we, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, are to practice that same mindsets in the way that we live. And so as Paul jumps into, continues on with this passage, he's finished off the hymn, and in verse 12, he begins to kind of work out the application of this. So he says this, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, Paul grabs onto this word salvation, and a lot of the time for us, when we hear salvation, uh, the, often the context for us, we often think about it meaning, where are you going to go when you die? And now, because of Jesus Christ, we have incredible hope as those who have placed our faith and trust in him, that, that we are promised to know that we will be with Christ, no matter what we face. And so in the challenges that we face in this life, that we will also continue to walk with Christ in whatever comes after death. Specifically, we call it heaven or, or God's new creation. We have this incredible promise. And so, yes, that is an incredible truth about salvation, but salvation isn't just about a destination that you go to after you die, after you die, but it is also about a life being lived with God here and now and about the way that God is changing us and transforming us and taking people who are selfish and sinful and setting us free from that and instead transforming us and making us more and more like Jesus. If your concept of salvation is entirely rooted in what happens after you die, I just simply want to invite you and say, yes, that is true, but it's so much more than that. And Paul looks at this community of believers, of Jesus followers, and he says, hey, you need to be working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, if words fear and trembling for us, it's kind of like it automatically assumes terror and, and just kind of anxiety. But for Paul, he's saying, you know, uh, maybe a better way of understanding when we say fear and trembling, if you look at other times Paul uses that term, it's about working out your salvation, understanding what God has done for you and what it means to live and walk and be changed and transformed by Christ and to live in union or to walk with Christ, what that actually means in our life here and now and to do that with humility, to do that with self 
awareness, to, to be, uh, to do that, to, to know about what God is doing and is going to continue to do in your life. Being aware of your own brokenness, of your own sinfulness, uh, of your, your inability to save yourself. Now, now, for many of us, we uh, again, if you've grown up in kind of the evangelical Protestant tradition, often when we're reading through this passage, it gets kind of weird. It's like, well, to work out your salvation, I thought that was something that only God can really do. Is it God who works it out, or, or is it us who work it out? And, and Paul, he doesn't seem too concerned about this. In fact, if you just look at what he says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's his challenge to the Philippian community and, to, and really to all of us. But, but then he goes on to simply say this in verse 13, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so we ask this question, well, is it God who works out our salvation? Is it something that we do that we earn? Or, or, is, it, or is it something that we do? Or is this something that God does? And Paul's just like, yes. Because salvation is about so much more than simply about you achieving some sort of standard. Rather, it's about walking and living and knowing God and opening up your life and allowing him to work in your life and change you and to use you. But, but ultimately for Paul, he's saying this is, this is what it's all about. It's about walking with God and having a deeper awareness of your incredible need for him in your life. Now, moving on, Paul begins to, or continues on, he says this, verse 14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, earlier on in the letter, Paul talks about doing nothing out of uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit. But here he says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Instead of doing nothing here, he's saying, do everything. And it's interesting, he does not go into a big list about where you are supposed to do it. He just assumes wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, whether it's at the skating rink, whether it's at the park, whether it's in your family, whether it's at your school, whether it's in your workplace, whether it's wherever it is you find yourself, do it all without grumbling or arguing. Now, Paul here is quoting from the Old Testament and specifically he's quoting from a passage in Deuteronomy that talks about the people of the Israel as they are wandering in the wilderness. This is after God has liberated them from slavery through the Exodus, liberated them from slavery in Egypt, and essentially they are out there in the wilderness, they've been set free, and yet they are going around grumbling and arguing. Now, this kind of grumbling and arguing is not the kind that you would simply have because, oh, well, it's like, oh, this is a situation that we would rather not be going through. When the language about grumbling and arguing is used, this is about... Uh, well, really, this is about the idea of this is below us. I mean, this is, this is not something we should have to do. This, we deserve so much better than this. And when they say arguing, this is not just about disagreeing with one another and trying to work towards what is the best solution to help move things forward. This is about, hey, this is about exerting themselves above each other. And so Paul, he grabs onto this image, he says, do everything without grumbling 
or arguing. Now, an important distinction is to be made is that the people of Israel, earlier on in, in Exodus chapter 3, we hear about them crying out as they are slaves in Egypt. And it talks about the God, Yahweh, this God who hears them crying out and comes and he delivers them from their oppression. Now, if you are going or people are going through situations where they are being dehumanized, where they are being incredibly mistreated and they cry out to God, that is not about complaining that is not about grumbling. That is not about the kind of arguing that Paul here or that, that, that we see in the book of Deuteronomy. No, no, this is, about, this is about really ultimately about a question of status. To cry out is when you are being treated less than human and a longing to be treated as you are. And grumbling and arguing, that flows out of when you see yourself as higher than you are. And really what needs to happen is you need to be taken down a few notches. And so Paul says, if you are seeing yourself as better than other people, if you are grumbling and arguing, if, if you think that you are better than everyone else and that maybe serving other people or doing certain things is below you, he says, that's not the way of Jesus. That is not the way of this hymn about this God who comes and empties himself and takes on the form of servant even to the point of death. And then Paul goes on to say, so that, that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Uh, Paul speaks to them knowing that wherever they go in the, in the city of Philippi, that they are surrounded by people with very different beliefs and views. For Paul, he says, you, you live in a very dark and difficult place where people don't believe the same things as you. In fact, where they go, they believe, and they carry on their lives in, in ways that are very, very different and in, and in, many, and, and in most ways are, are in direct opposition to what it means to be a follower of Jesus. They worship other gods and they choose to conduct themselves in a way that keeps about, is continuously about elevating their status. But, but Paul says this to them, is that you get the opportunity you are invited in through Jesus Christ to show and be something different in the world. And the various different places that you find yourself, you have the opportunity to shine in those dark, dark places. Paul says this, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. No one likes to be in the darkness, right? And, and maybe it's the darkness of culture, it's the people around you, or maybe it's the darkness of circumstances. You are going through a difficult and painful and hard time. And for so many of us, it's like that is the last place we would ever want to be. And so what we essentially wanna do is like, I wanna get away from that, I wanna get as far away from that as I possibly can. I think for so many of us, we are going, hey, I wanna to go to the place, I wanna be in a place, whether it's a circumstance, an environment, whatever it is, where, where there is nothing to grumble or argue about. And yet Paul seems to suggest, he says, no, 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 as Christians, we want to move towards those dark places because that is the place where God's light shines the brightest. Uh, I 
little while ago, I was driving late at night and, uh, and there was no street lights on. I was out kind of in the country area and you just realize how dark it is. And so you're flicking on your high beams so that you can see better. And I remember there was another car coming towards me and he as well had his high beams on and he forgot to do the cordial, like flick it off uh, as we drove by one another. And I remember just kind of being this blinded by these lights and you just realize how powerful those lights are in the darkness. Uh, and the reason why the story was so profound to me is that I remember a few days later I was driving around and I re- in just middle of the day and I remember realizing, oh, I've got my high beams on and it's bright outside and then you never would even notice. Uh, one of the things that's so amazing is that we have a God who enters into the darkness and invites us to come in and enter into the darkness and to shine brightly for him, to, to show that there is a different way of living, one where we can pursue humility, where it's not about looking like we have it all together, that we are perfect, uh, that, that, that we don't need anyone's help, and yet we can come in and enter into these places, and God can use even our brokenness in amazing ways where we can shine like stars. I think of people who have gone in and uh, who have entered into some of the darkest places. Uh, maybe it's a family relationship. And they go and, and what they could be tempted to do is to just point out all the things that are wrong with that, those people and just ignore them and push them out of their lives or tell them off or put them down to, to show just how right they are. And yet it's those people who continue to walk into those dark places and simply go, I want to be like Christ here. I want to have the same mindset of Jesus. So what can I do to serve and reflect his sacrificial love to others? And here's the thing that's interesting about sacrificial love is that you can't have it without humility. Because you can have sacrifices without humility or even without love. You can go and, and there are people who make sacrifices, but it's always about like the, the kind of the end game, right? It's about, oh, I can have this because I can hold this over on this person. Uh, I can do this. I can go. I can make this sacrifice because I know ultimately it's going to make me look way better to everyone else when I do it. But, but sacrificial love is really about placing what are the needs, desires, what's best for that person ahead of what I want for myself. God wants to use you in whatever dark places you find yourself. And whether that is the dark places of our world, whether that is the dark circumstances that you're walking through in your life, that is an opportunity for God's light to shine so brightly. I remember, uh, well, and I remember, I just, uh, um, the last couple of weeks, uh, a couple of years really, but the last couple of weeks especially have been really hard for our family. Uh, most of you who are on our mailing list have received an email just uh, sharing about a prayer time that was going to be had for my wife and our family uh, this past Monday uh, because of some health issues that my wife has been facing and they've been scary and overwhelming for us as we've navigated the medical world and everything else that kind of comes with that. And uh, it's been a dark time for us, and yet it's the community gathered around and all these different people who gathered online to pray for us on Monday night and all these people who have sent text messages and have been praying for us and sent emails. 
Uh, and for us, it's been an incredibly dark time. And yet, all I could think is, as people were praying over our family, was the way that God's light was shining. I mean, the call to, to shine bright in the midst of the darkness, to shine like stars, it isn't just a call for us as individuals, but it's also a call for us as a community. And I believe that as we love and serve each other sacrificially, God's love shines so incredibly bright. Verse 17, Paul says this, but even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so Paul grabs this image of the drink offering. And uh, in the people of Israel, as they were using the, the sacrificial system in the temple, they would come and they'd offer up their sacrifices and then they'd pour their drink offering on top of that. And so Paul is saying that, that the, the, the Philippian community, their life of, of commitment to Jesus, even in the midst of suffering and the challenges they face and their, their continuous choice to live out the way of Jesus, of sacrificial, humble love for others, even when it's hard and it costs them, for, for Paul, he looks at them, he says, you know, realize that, that this is about something you are doing and giving to God. It is something that glorifies him. It is something that, 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 that proclaims who he is. And he says, I see my life as just kind of being the, the drink poured out on top of your sacrifice. And so there's this amazing thing as we give our lives, as we pour them out in sacrificial love for others, is that God is glorified. There's this amazing quote from Leonard Cohen in his song, Anthem, and I just simply wanna conclude our, the sermon with it. He says this, forget your perfect offering. There is a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. But for so many of us, we think that in order to shine, in order to, to, to really show how awesome and amazing God is, we need to be perfect. We need to have it all figured out. And the thing that I'm learning more and more is that as we live with a, a deep self-awareness and humility, and instead of trying to hide things and, 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 and elevate ourselves above other people and, and commit to giving this picture of ourselves that really isn't true, rather when, when we're able to actually be in tune with our desperate need for God in our lives and all the ways that we are broken in all the ways that, that the cracks in who we are in our life, as they, they get exposed. Uh, not only is that the way that God's light gets into our lives, but, but that's the way God's light shines brightest out of our lives. I mean, it's not just the cracks in our life, the brokenness in our life where the light shines in. It's the cracks and the brokenness. It's those places where the light shines out the most. So my prayer for us as a community is that we choose to give our lives away in sacrificial love to God and to others, that we might shine in the darkness. Whether that darkness is a culture so far away from God or whether that is just the darkness of the circumstances that we are facing and that we would shine as individuals, but even more so as a community that loves one another and shows the world that there is a different way to see yourself, 
and a different way to live for others.